0: Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 8, Episode 32. In the last episode, I covered the Hillamora, then provided the podcast's 6th Anniversary Update. If you missed that episode, you should really go back and give it a listen. This week, I'm picking up the History in Judges Chapter 7 and pressing forward. And with that, let's get started. Next up should be Pura who was the Judge Gideon's servant. But, this is his only mention in the text, and there's nothing in the outside record. Pressing forward. Judges chapter 7 covers much of the Gideon narrative, focusing mostly on how Gideon prepared to attack the Midianites. Part of this is when Gideon and Purah sneak to the outskirts of the Midianite camp and overhear two soldiers talking. When Gideon arrives, there was a man telling of a dream to his comrade, and he said, I had a dream, and in it a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian, and came to the tent, and struck it so that it fell. It turned upside down, and the tent collapsed. And his comrade answered, There is no other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand God has given Midian, and all the army. There really isn't anything new in here, except for that cake of barley. So, I'll just spend a minute on this staple food. Barley bread is a type of bread made from barley flour, derived from the grain of the barley plant. Which has got to be one of the most obvious things I've ever mentioned. What's less obvious is how long it's been baked. I could find nothing on its history in the Middle East region but in the British Isles, it dates to the Iron Age, placing it just after Gideon. Given what's in the text, it was certainly available in Canaan before Iron. The grain gets several citations in the Old Testament, including a predominant role in the Book of Ruth. More on that when I get to that book. It's also present in John 6, where a boy with five barley loaves and two fish and, of course, with Jesus' help, managed to feed 5,000. Outside of the Bible, and in some Islamic sources, barley is considered the food of a commoner, while wheat bread is presented as a somewhat luxury item. In the 8th century Islamic writings known as Muwatta Imam Malik, it's recorded that Jesus would say, O Bane Israel, You must drink pure water and the green things of the land, and barley bread. Beware of wheat bread, for you will not be grateful enough for it. Again, emphasizing that wheat bread held a higher status. There are other stories in various Muslim texts, but in general, they follow the same theme. And that's really it for barley cakes, possibly presented as the food of Midian, as showing their lower class. Or, that's how it really went down. Next in the Gideon narrative are the trumpets and jars. I covered trumpets, shofars really, in Volume 1, Chapter 7, Episode 6, released in December 2020. There is not much to the clay jars, except that they were likely unbaked, unglazed clay pots. Rather simple the 300 Israelites led by Gideon attacked the Midianites, who fled in retreat as far as Beth-Shittah towards Zerara, as far as the border of Abel-Meholah by Tabeth. I've covered Beth-Shittah. As for Zerara, there's nothing in the outside record, though it does get minor mentions in 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles. As for Abel-Meholah, it was an ancient city mentioned three times in the Hebrew Bible, with this being the first. The others are more well known, as it was the birthplace and residence of the prophet Elisha. This is found in the Book of Kings, where Elisha, fearing Queen Jezebel's wrath, is ordered by God at Mount Horeb to go back along the Jordan Valley and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed him meaning Elisha to succeed Elijah as prophet. The city was also where one of Solomon's twelve governors, Bana, was put in charge of several districts, including the area from Beth Sheen to Abel-Meholah. Due to all three of these references, it's generally thought to have been located near the Jordan River, south of Beit Sheen. There's also Adriel, the Meholthite, the son-in-law of King Saul who was probably named after Abel-Mihola. The actual site of Abel-Mihola has not been identified with reliable certainty. Both Jerome and Eusebius referred to it as being both a town and an area in the Jordan Valley, about 10 Roman miles south of Bethsheen. Epiphanius, while mentioning the village, recorded that in his day, meaning the 4th century AD, it was called Beth Mihola, which is good to know, but considering the location of that city is unknown, it doesn't help pin down a location. More modern researchers, in this case in the 19th century, identified a couple ancient tells, but still no certainty. What is generally agreed upon is that it was west of the Jordan River, probably near the spot where the Wadi al-Mali a stream whose name might be a derivative of Mehola, where this stream merges into the Jordan. Of course, streams change courses, like people change horses, especially over 3,000 plus years, so it might not be exactly at the convergence. There are two tells in that general area, which are potential candidate sites. Both of these tells have yet to be excavated. Yet which should also give some indication into the level of interest. Not much. And that's it for Abel-Meholah. As for the place mentioned in Judges as being nearby, Tabeth, there is nothing in the outside record, and this is the only mention in the text. Back in the narrative, and shortly after the Midianites' retreat, soldiers from the tribe of Ephraim capture two Midianite captains, Oreb and Zeb, The name Oreb is thought to translate to raven. As for Zeb, it's thought to mean a wolf. What I couldn't find is if these translations originated from the names themselves. Meaning, did the ancient Hebrews assign the noun wolf to Zeb, because they ran into a general with the same name? The place where Oreb, the raven, was made nevermore, became known as the Rock of Oreb, As for Zeb, he met his end at a winepress that would end up bearing his name. The locations of these two places are unknown, but were probably west of the Jordan, since Ephraim's task was to keep the enemy from crossing the river. And that's chapter 7. Chapter 8 begins with the warriors from Ephraim turning on Gideon. While trying to talk them back from the vengeance they're seeking, he mentions the grapes at Abiezer. Abiezer was the name of three biblical characters. The name translates to the father of help, or more simply, helpful. These characters in the Old Testament narrative include a prince of the tribe of Dan at the time of the Exodus. There's also the second of three sons of Hamoliketh, the sister of Gilead, who's also called Jezer, which is actually the name found in most translations. He was the grandson of Manasseh and a forefather to Gideon. Judges 6 describes his family, the Abiezerites, as the weakest in the tribe of Manasseh. Finally, one of King David's 30 mighty warriors bore the name. He was a Benjamite from Anathoth. And that's all there is for Abiezer. Next up are Zebah and Zalmunna, the Midianite kings being chased by Gideon and crew. The pair of royalty managed to escape an initial defeat and cross the Jordan, but were overtaken at Karkur, probably in the Horan, a regional desert located in what's currently southern Syria and northern Jordan. It was here they both were finally defeated by Gideon, but they weren't killed. Instead, the kings were taken alive and brought back across the Jordan. After this, they confessed that they had personally taken part in the killing of Gideon's brothers. Following the confession, they were put to death. This execution was significant enough it was mentioned again in Psalms 83. The psalmist wrote, Do to them as you did to Midian, as to Sisera and Jabin at the Wadi Kishon, who were destroyed at Endor, who became dung for the ground. Make their nobles like Oreb and Zeb, all their princes like Zeba and Zalmunna, who said, Let us take the pastures of God for our own possession. Overall, this chapter in Psalms is a prayer for judgment against Israel's enemies, hence many of the historical references to defeated enemy kings and leaders. And that's it for those dethroned Midianite kings. I'll spend just a minute on the place where the two Midianite kings were found, Karkur. This is the only place in the text that location is mentioned. Though from the text we do know it was east of the Jordan, and nothing else. So not even a minute on that place. Before Gideon got there, he did pass through Penuel, which was apparently in friendly hands. But the people there were not friendly to Gideon, declining to help him refusing to even give his men any food. Obviously, they thought he was going to be defeated and were trying to avoid the wrath of the Midianites. Also obviously, Gideon didn't take too kindly to their refusal, telling the city's residents that when he returned victorious, he was going to tear down their tower. And he did. He also killed all of the men of the city. Penuel is said to be not that far from Sukith on the east bank of the Jordan River and south of the Jabuk River, which would place it in present-day Jordan. Penuel was mentioned in Genesis as the site of Jacob's struggle with the angel, the one after which he was renamed Israel. Later, when the northern king of Israel broke away from the United Monarchy, which was around 930 BC, Jeroboam, its first king, established his capital at Shekil. Shortly later he left Shechem and fortified Peñuel declaring it his new capital he and his son Nadab ruled there until Baasha seized the throne around 909 BC and moved the capital to Tirzah all of this found in 1 kings there have been a few places tentatively identified as Peñuel but nothing definitive and that's Peñuel and a good stopping point for this week's episode join me next week when I'll pick up in Judges 8, you don't want to miss it. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. This week, help others to find the podcast by leaving a positive review on iTunes. You can find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page so that it's easier to find later. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released and you don't miss out. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.